0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today's episode is a special one. It's a conversation between Rabbi Wilds and Ellie Beer. Ellie is the founder of the United Hatzalah of Israel, a life-saving emergency medical organization. Ellie is used to being the healer, but earlier this year he contracted COVID and was put into a medically induced coma for a month. In today's episode, you'll hear all about how Ellie rescues others and what happened when he became the one in need.
1: Welcome, Ellie Beer. What time is it over there?
2: Um, now it's 9 p.m. in Israel,
1: Jerusalem. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you so much, so much for doing this. It's really a big Zuchut and honor for our community. So excited for this interview. I've really been looking forward. Uh, before I uh, begin by welcoming you and... Uh, introducing you reading your very impressive bio i have special regards from my brother Uh, my brother michael is a huge fan Uh, i also know of you actually from uh, another dear friend mark gerson and uh and mark is a huge fan of yours and he's an amazing guy friend of mine for many many years and my dear friend moshe Bellos also asked me to send his love to you um so a lot of, Beer, brother, By the way, is a good friend, and he's a Hatzalah
2: volunteer.
1: I'm very, very proud. He's been on Hatzalah for a long, long time, literally decades. Um, maybe we'll come back to that, actually. Um, so for those of you who don't uh, perhaps know, our guest on the uh, Wildcast MGE podcast uh, is Eli Beer, who is, besides being an entrepreneur, he is the president and founder of United Hatzalah, of Israel. He personally is responsible for saving thousands, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of lives, because he figured out a solution to the age-old ambulance problem, particularly in countries like Israel, where there are narrow streets and lots of traffic. Takes too long for those ambulances to get through traffic. And so, Eli came up with the AmbuCycle. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes. Okay, good. The the cycle, which is a motorcycle, has all the medical equipment of an ambulance, aside from a stretcher, and allows the MTs to arrive on the scenes. With, listen to this, guys, 90 seconds in Jerusalem and three minutes across Israel. 90 seconds in Yerushalayim and three minutes across Israel. And I'm told that the three minutes is really the time that can make all the difference between a person's life and, God forbid, death. So this is really really a lifesaver. Twenty-five years. Oh, we got a little video going on. There's a motorcycle uh, called an cycle, and it's able to just get through traffic and all the craziness that you see in Jerusalem and elsewhere in Israel. And um, in twenty-five years, United Cell has grown to more than 5,000 volunteers who unite together to save lives. And one of the most beautiful thing we're going to come back to also is how it also unites different races, different religions. The volunteers are comprised of Orthodox Jews, religious Muslims, secular Jews, secular Muslims, uh, men, women, it's unbelievable. And this communal emergency network treats over 300,000 people per year in Israel. Um, And Ellie's vision in bringing this life-saving model across the world was to not only keep it to Israel, but in 2015, he expanded internationally with the establishment of branches now in South America and in other countries. Uh, He also survived a very, very serious uh, bout of COVID, which we're going to also, with your permission, Ellie, talk about later in the program today. Uh, Ellie lives in Yerushalayim with his wife Gitti and his five children, some of whom are also EMT volunteers. Welcome, Ellie. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much. Um, uh, tell us
1: a little about your. T- tell us a little about your background. Where are you from?
2: I'm from here. I was born and raised in Yerushalayim. Um, I lived in a little neighborhood called Beit Vagan. That's where I grew up. And now I live in Ramot, which is uh, a little suburb. It's probably the biggest suburb around Yerushalayim. Beautiful.
1: And I read that back in 1978, um, actually on June 2nd, 1978, you and your brother witnessed a, a bomb, uh, a bus bombing in shalim right in front of it. Can you tell us a little about that story?
2: So really, that story actually changed my life. Uh, that day was, you know, one of our biggest tragedies in Bait where I grew up. Uh, on Hapizgah Street. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you listeners and people who watch you know what Vagan, They heard of Vagan, It was a very American neighborhood. And then on a Friday afternoon, when I was coming back from school, um, a uh, a bus that came into the neighborhood stopped in the bus stop, blew up right there. It was actually the first bomb attack on a bus in Israel. Uh, I was a very uh, I was a young kid but I remember the screaming and yelling and I remember people on the floor for a long time. Of course, I couldn't help and I couldn't do anything, but that, that memory stayed in my head, seeing a bus on fire and people on the floor screaming for help. And, I, and, and for years, I would think about what I saw, the tragedy I saw, and, and I, it just pushed me towards what I am today. That actually designed my life to where I should be today. And for years and years, all I was thinking about, if I was able to help someone, maybe I could have saved someone.
1: Well, and you, you yeah. were just a teenager at the time.
2: I was not a teenager. I was a young – I was six years old. I was very young. Uh, but I remember – Oh, my it, gosh. I'm sorry. You were six. Yeah. I was six oh. years old. Uh, and that – the memory well, – I'm of, sorry.
1: I'm sorry. But you, you – you, I, I think you had – I think you had said that you were a teenager when you started volunteering.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. So actually years later, when I was a young child, um, I said to myself, I need to start saving lives because that bothered me so much. What I remember as a child, as a six-year-old, and I, and when I went to, when I was 15 years old, I went to become a volunteer in an ambulance in were line. I actually became an EMT. It was an amazing experience being in the back of an ambulance and uh, helping people and and, and taking care of people. But all I wanted to do is save someone. So a uh, year and a half, I was a volunteer in the back of an ambulance in the age of 15. And uh, it was really impossible to save people. The time we got there was so late. Fighting traffic, like you said before, the the narrow roads in, in Yerushalayim, the the traffic, it was very hard to get to emergencies on time. And that's where my life you know, changed when I was A year and a half in the back of an ambulance, I realized that we can save lives in in an ambulance. We could help people. We could transport them. But we can't get there fast enough to save them. And uh, what happened was when I was uh, a year and a half into volunteering, I was 16 and a half years old. We had a call about a seven-year-old boy who was choking. And it took us about 21 minutes to get there. The kid was eating a hot dog, and he choked on a little piece of hot dog. And by the time we got there, we we were doing CPR while we were crying because the mother was hysterical and crying. We were emotional about it, and we were trying to save him. And then a doctor walks into the house, and he says, I saw an ambulance parked here. I want to help you. And we told him what happened. He was helping us for a while. And after uh, 20, 30 minutes, we were working on him, and we were trying everything we could. The doctors just said, bring a sheet to cover him. There was nothing we could do. And that moment was the worst moment of my life as a 16-year-old boy, seeing a little 7-year-old child die while a doctor lived a block away from him, but he didn't know he was suffocating. And he could have been there earlier, but he didn't know. And that's when I said we have to get volunteers to respond to calls way before an ambulance. Ambulances are great to transfer people, but can't save people. But people who are around the incident could save people. And uh, that's where we started. We were only um, a, a group of 15 volunteers then. And we were, we were interested in making a difference, interested in getting to emergencies in 90 seconds. Uh, so we gathered a bunch of people together. We bought, we, we had a problem. The ambulances didn't want to share the emergency calls with us. So we had to buy scanners. These police scanners would tap into the emergency calls to hear everything happening and uh, it's called chutzpah in hebrew and that's how we got together a group and uh very fast we started responding to calls the first person that i treated was a 70 year old man who was hit by a car and he um he was in a really bad situation and i heard it on the scanner and i ran there but i had no medical supplies to treat him and i took off my yarmulke to stop his bleeding because I had no bandages. So I just stopped it with my yarmulke. I was right here, pushed it in. And then like um, a while after when ambulance arrived, they took him to the hospital and I didn't know if he'll survive or not. And, and two days later, I get a phone call and they say, are you really beer? I said, yes, he says, my father was treated by you on Hopi's God Street. And he's, uh, he's, he woke up this morning at the Johnson hospital. He says he wants to thank you for saving his life and that's the call I was waiting for for so long. For over a year and a half helping people, I never got to save anyone. And I realized that if you get there fast enough, you can make a difference. And I went to visit him. He gave me this incredible hug and uh, thanked me for saving him and then he gave, and I saw he had a number on his hand. He like a he was a hush, he was the Auschwitz oh. survivor. And I realized how easy it is to save someone if you get there fast. And I saw this this man was he has a family, is you know, I made a difference. That's how the whole thing started with my you know, my journey here.
1: That's incredible. You saved a Holocaust survivor's life with your Yamaka. How old were you at the time?
2: Sixteen and a half years old.
1: Oh my gosh. And, and and how old were you when you started United Hatzalah?
2: so it was a journey it wasn't we started then that was the time we started um we had volunteers who were much older that joined in Uh, i was probably one of the youngest um and we just got more and more volunteers to to join in we thought about this idea Uh, we had a lot of innovations i came up one day and i said we guys we we have to get there faster the only way to get there faster is have these motorcycles equipped like ambulances and people said what are you talking about i said Look at the guys delivering pizza in Israel. These 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 uh, young people who deliver pizza—they want to get a good tip. They drive in between cars. They go on the sidewalk. They hit people on the way, but they get there fast enough when the pizza is still hot. Instead of these guys we, ha- we have f- that in, we have that in New York City. No. <laughs> yeah, you have all the, all these uh, Uber Eats and everything. So I we had yeah, it. Yeah. Israel, and we said, how do we get emergency care fast enough? And I said, let's get these motorcycles and build ambicycles. We were the first ones in the world to actually create this ambicycle idea.
1: And how many calls are you taking now on an average day?
2: Uh, today, we took a little over 2000 calls today alone. Wow. Uh, we have days we go between 300 wow. and 2000 is our average uh, might as well day of the week and uh, COVID of course, slowed down things, but now ba- everything is back to normal, almost. So um, people are traveling again. You know, we had a lockdown for a few weeks, so it was it was a little difficult, but less emergency calls because less car accidents and everything. But we have a lot of events, and a lot of them are happy events. This morning we had a, one of our volunteers, um, Daniel Katzenstein, and another gr- a woman, Shoshana, uh Freemack, i think her last name they went out to call 4 30 in the morning this morning a lady was um you know she felt like she's giving birth in the house she was she wanted to go to the hospital but she called for an ambulance and these two volunteers arrived like middle of the night 4 30 in the morning they delivered a beautiful healthy baby boy oh, awesome they, they went back home trying to go back to sleep they had another call 6 30 in the morning another baby <laughs> delivered by them <laughs> two babies. Um, wow. It's just beautiful here. And then Daniel Katzenstein, an hour later, became uh, he had a grandson born for himself or granddaughter. So he it was just a beautiful you know coincidence. But we have oh, no. every day every type of emergency you could think of. We have we deal with, and uh, we really make a difference to over 150 people that we save a day.
1: It's just it's unbelievable. You know, you mentioned my brother. So I grew up with with Michael, um, you know, just in the middle of dinner. It could be on Shabbat. It could be during the week. He gets a call on his radio and he jumps out. And he had when he was in Forest Hills, which is where we're from in Queens, he had this red jumpsuit right near the door. Nobody wore the jumpsuit in Hatsola, but he loved the jumpsuit and he's able to jump into it like in the middle of the night and get there. He had like the fastest response. How do you get somewhere within three minutes? I mean, I've, I've spent many years in Israel on and off. Um, it's tricky, really, really tricky. How do you do that within that 90 seconds you said with if it's in Yerushalayim and three minutes across Israel?
2: Well, if you think about it, um, you stay in Manhattan and you, and you press the button for Uber, or Lyft, how long does it take to get to you? I usually, sometimes right. I, I lift, I get I have to cancel because it's too fast. You know, like, I, I don't even get down the elevator and they're waiting for me and it's like I see one minute left till they leave. The idea is, of Hatella, we invented this Uber Lyft idea, but for free, for life-saving. We spread our people all around the country. When we have a strategy of you know, every city we we start we start a cell, we want to make sure that we have enough people to cover the city in terms of a network. So, if someone calls for help in uh, one street, we'll have a volunteer there, and they usually you know they're very close to their vehicle, or or sometimes they run by foot. So we have six and a half thousand volunteers now,
1: uh, and and so the volunteers are they're all over. So when you're calling all- someone. You're doing it in a way that's very strategic. you're calling someone that's extremely close to the place
2: exactly. where the call volunteer in the ambulance, I couldn't understand why all the ambulances sit in one parking lot and they in a building and in one area and then when someone has an emergency you send one ambulance from one part of the city to the other part of the city. Why don't you spread the ambulances everywhere? And then I understood it's so hard to spread right. them because you can't have enough ambulances to spread it's just too much money. But when you have volunteers who don't cost money, none of our volunteers get a penny for their work. So they all volunteers, they're all putting their own time and, this, and they're, they're ready to go, Twenty like your brother with the jumpsuit. Think about the world. Yeah. What a better, safer place when you have people like volunteers of United Attila yeah. who are ready to jump in a red jumpsuit in the middle of the night to run to a neighbor who's choking. The same neighbor who's choking could wait 20 minutes for an ambulance.
1: It's amazing. That's incredible. And and staying on the volunteers for a minute, I saw this incredible video that you had, how diverse your volunteers are. You know, I've always been um, a believer that peace is going to come between different races and cultures and Jews and Arabs, not through governments necessarily, but the people. Take a look at this video. Uh, Benjamin just posted a video from, from United Hatsawa These are Muslim volunteers for United Hatzalah, and they are taking time out of their day to pray. And they're going back now to their motorcycles um, to save lives, save Jewish lives, and Muslim lives as well. So you have Jews saving Muslims, Muslims saving Jews. I mean, tell us a little about that. I just find that so inspiring.
2: So this is actually a beautiful, beautiful video. I was very moved from this video. This video is, uh, you know, we we had, a. Terrible breakout of uh, COVID-19 here in Israel. (laughs) It was terrible. I mean, we're talking about 10,000 people a day. Most of them came from the religious communities in Israel and the Arab communities because they're very tight, they're very congested. They all live, you know, they have homes, 10 people live in one home. So these volunteers, these Arab Muslim volunteers in East Jerusalem were asked by the organization to go around spreading awareness for COVID, giving out flyers. We had like trucks after them talking. It's like advertising for against COVID. The city, the mayor of Yerushalayim Moshe Leon asked us if we could help because it was so bad there. And we sent like 50 volunteers of the United Arab volunteers to go spread the word in East Jerusalem. And then they just stopped to pray because, you know, Milcha, you know, Milcha Meyer, I don't know how they call it, <laughs> they stopped right, to pray. Right. They, they and,
1: have five and, times, we do, we do three, five. they do five.
2: <laughs> Think about five kiddushes a day. Um, <laughs> so uh, they 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 just did their what they do every day, pray. And and someone took a video and it was just a beautiful thing to see united at volunteers with our symbol. Sorry, this one. The star of David on in the in the in the star of life, and they're walking around proudly with the y- on them. Love it. Love the organization Same way I love the organization. And these people, before they joined United Atzella, a lot of them did not have no idea about Jews or anything about our lives. And now that they joined, we, we know how to respect each other, both sides. We think that life comes before any conflict, before anything. You know, they all say to me, Ellie, before we joined the United South, we never knew the value of life so much. It's so high. And, um, and it's, a, it's a good message for the communities.
1: It's a very, very powerful colorful vote to you. I just, you know, it's funny. I know you didn't create the organization for that reason at all. This was sort of like an incidental benefit, but like that alone, you know, that alone.
2: Um, Actually, the funny thing is the,
1: now just to transition. Yeah,
2: I just wanted to add to what you just said. Your comment: We were originally only Jewish volunteers and mostly Orthodox volunteers. Today, we have, you know, six and a thousand volunteers. I would say half of them are not religious, which is beautiful to have religious, ultra-Orthodox, Haredi, and secular volunteers, men and women in Israel volunteering. But when an Arab volunteer like Almost twenty years ago called me up. he wasn't a volunteer then. His name was um, Murad and his friend Muhammad. They called me up and they were on the phone trying to convince me to meet them. I said, What is it about? They said they want to meet, they couldn't pronounce Hatzala. So they said Hazola. So I said, Hezbollah? You know, is that Hezbollah you want to meet me about? They said, No, 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 no. I couldn't understand. What do they want? You know, like and then they told me that Muhammad's father had a cardiac arrest and they were waiting for almost an hour for an ambulance. And Muhammad couldn't save his father. He didn't know what to do. But he said, if I knew what to do, I could have saved him. But now that he's not alive. I want to go learn how to save people. And I don't care who I'm saving. I just want to save. He had a beautiful story. And I was so moved. And I, was, I had chills in my, my, my body. I said, you know what? When I build this organization, you it wasn't about saving Jewish people. It was about saving people. We're all creatures of Hashem. I said to them, you know what? If you're willing to join, I'll join you, but only if you bring 25 of your friends. So I said, if you bring 25 of your friends, I'll join you in. I'll do a course for the Arab volunteers. If you bring 25 Arabs from East Jerusalem. They wanted to join on their own. I said, no, no, no. I want you to bring 25 friends. And now we have over 550 Arab and Muslim volunteers in Israel, volunteering for United Hatzalah. Wow. That's one of the reasons we changed the name from Hatzalah of Israel to United Hatzalah of Israel.
1: That's wonderful. That's really, really wonderful. Um, you got to raise a lot of money. You and I uh, are tasked with the same beautiful uh, mission. We both believe in what we're doing. Uh, I'm trying to save a little more of the spiritual lives, you know, in here in the United States, we have tons and tons of young uh, Jewish men and women, extraordinarily talented, uh, amazing, just not so involved. And thank God, it's just been great. But, you know, as they say, the rabbis teach in ethics of our fathers in in Torah. There's no flower, there can be no Torah. Can't save lives if you don't have the equipment, if you can't buy the ambulances, the motorcycles. Um, Or in my case, the... uh, programs. Um before Corona, how many days a year are you traveling? Um raising money for United Hutsella?
2: So it's I would say I would be most of the year out of the country. I would say maybe two hundred days a year. I would be busy in lectures, traveling, fundraising, awareness. Uh I would put ninety percent of my time, I would sleep and be with my family, even with my family maybe ten percent of my time. It was very, very intense. I would travel in one month. You could ask Mark Urson, He's my partner. He knows. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe, um, in one month, I would travel to five countries. And I was the the month of, you know, February and March, the beginning of March, that's when everything stopped for me. I was in five countries which was ridiculous, but that's my life, I love it. And I gave a TEDx talk in Mumbai and then I was in Qatar. From there I was in, uh, we were in Los Angeles and New York and Washington and London afterwards and then Miami. And this is my joy because I love spreading the word of of Torah. Like you say, spreading the Torah, you save a spiritual life. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Always said you can't. You know, he said atzela is so important because if you can't save, if you want to save the spiritual, which you know is so important for the if you want to save the spiritual, you you can't do it without the physical. The physical, the body, and the Torah is the most important, you know, thing. Uh, and I looked at it as my mission to to really save as much people as I could, especially me that I went through so much when I was a child. Seeing what I saw, I saw how many people just died waiting for help. And you can make a difference when you do this. I, I don't stop traveling because of that.
1: So, so when you were fundraising earlier this year, uh, where, where were you, for, for example, Purim? Remember Purim was, was March 10th, it was a Tuesday. Um, and I just remember it so well because um, I had um, hugged a friend who tested positive for COVID. So I couldn't um, lead MGE on Purim, which is a very big night for us. We get three, 400 people. And uh, um, and I'm very, very grateful actually to my colleague, Rabbi Ezra Cohen's probably watching this because he convinced me that none of us should do Purim this year. Uh, we were one of the only places that actually closed for Purim. Um, and wow. a few days after Purim, I think you started, is when you started feeling sick. And had started uh, experiencing difficulty with breathing. Um, tell us what was going on.
2: I um, I was in Purim in Miami. Uh, I just came from London, and it was fine. The Purim was beautiful for me. I went to shul, of course, to hear Magilla. I dressed up as Superman. I don't know why. My daughters, my two daughters, were with me. So we said, let's find a costume. We found. We went into a costume store that was the only costume we found, so we bought it. We had a good time, and then the next day, I didn't feel like Superman anymore. I felt fever. It was the next day, actually. I said it was weird, and I right away said goodbye to my kids. I said, if I have fever, you're out of here. And uh, I just quarantined myself for five days just to make sure everything's good. And then I couldn't breathe anymore, so I had to go to the hospital. I went to the University of Miami. The doctors in the beginning thought everything's fine with me because I took Tylenol before. So my fever went down, but they wanted to let me go home. I said, you know, I can't breathe. They said, okay, let's check you again. They took an extra and they said, right away, we have to put you in the ICU. And then uh, I found myself in the ICU, you know, with IVs and everything. And um, like, I think this was, like I'm confused a little about time. Okay, so this was like Purim was Tuesday, so maybe Shabbos already. I, been, I was there a few days in the hospital. I can't remember already what day, but Friday was probably the next Friday. They wanted to induce me into coma. I wasn't breathing anymore. I was doing very, very bad. And I was one of the first patients in the hospital. Um, they induced me into coma. I had to say goodbye to my kids. I had to call my children. It was Israel, it was, uh, it was uh, Shabbos. Uh, I called my wife till she answered. She's in a cell on my wife, so she answered the phone, KT, and I, and I told her, you know, we have, um, you know, I'm in a ho- she knew I'm in the hospital. I said, I, I'm, they're gonna induce me into coma. I have to say goodbye to the kids. I was sure I'm not gonna survive. I was like, it was like 5% chance in my situation, my condition to be, to, to, to wake up from that coma. I was in such a bad condition It just hit me so bad. I was a healthy guy. I never had any anything before. Like I never been to the hospital uh, as a patient, and I found myself fighting COVID in the worst in worst case ever. In my in my I never heard of anyone like me in that situation. And then um, I said goodbye to my kids. That was my kids were crying. My daughter was pregnant then. I have a daughter, Panina, she was crying. She was saying to me, you can't, you can't, don't let them to put you in a coma. Don't, you have to stay awake. I said, I can't, I, I can't breathe anymore. So she says, she was crying. I said, at least you'll tell me if it's a boy or a girl. She didn't want to tell me if it's a boy or girl. She was pregnant, She was five months pregnant. She didn't want to tell me. I said, there, please tell me, she didn't want to tell me. She said, you'll have to wake up to see if it's a boy or a girl. And then um, about almost a month I was in a coma almost it was up you know i woke up in between what it was, was uh,
1: what was can i just stop you what, there what was going through your mind i mean I, I think there was actually a video um that you that you sent out before they put you in the coma
2: i actually made a video be showing us here i was yeah yeah i looked okay i was actually begging yeah. people to pray for me, to daven for me, and do good chesed for me. I said my name, and I asked people to please continue supporting United Hatzalah. I was worried I'm not going to survive. And if I don't survive, people are not going to give the funds we need to save lives. And I, I actually begged people not to forget about United Hatzalah because I would be running around. Um, I think Benyamin's uh, sound is off. That's why I don't hear it. But um, right.
1: Right. Okay. No, but you, you gave us the gist of what you were. I listened I actually, to it
2: before. I was extremely moved yeah. by. Here I was having a hard time breathing, but I did this from the last video. And I actually just begged people, just continue supporting United at While I'm in a coma and I hope to survive, but just please pray for me and do good things. And I was hoping for a miracle.
1: Yeah. And? It looks like uh, your horse.
2: Yeah. I woke yeah. up about a few weeks later, and I, I woke up once in between. They woke me up, and they thought everything good, and they put me back in a coma. It was worse. And then I woke up. I was fine. How long were you in a coma for? About 20-something days. It's oh, my gosh. Some of the days were not exactly a coma. I was in between a coma and and conscious, but I don't remember them.
1: But I was on a vacillator. do you have any? Later. You are on a Do you have? Do you have any any recollections of anything that was going through your mind? Any dreams? Any? Just curious. I had a lot
2: of bad dreams, really, really bad. Um, more than bad dreams, it was very, very intense. About a lot of terrible tragedies that I was involved with as a paramedic as a medic to go out to emergencies and and treat people and be enough in the in, in a bomb attack and and being in disasters and I remember these things and I remember putting people on ventilators It just the whole time I was just in I didn't have one comedy in my my uh my dreams there's a whole serious drama <laughs> right so and I woke
1: up, this um right. I'm sorry, you keep going. You were saying you woke up.
2: I woke up. I was very intense because I was like still living the dream that I was living in. I had like a 3D dream, a 4D dream. And uh, it was like, I don't know how to call it, deliriums maybe. I had deliriums, which I found out later. was ICU deliriums because of all the medicines I was in. Don't forget you wake up alone. No one's there. Your family's not there. No one's holding your hand. No one's explaining what happened. I don't remember anything. I don't remember the whole process. I was, doctor says, do you remember where I am? I said, no, I don't. I I said, um, I thought I was in Switzerland and uh, treating a disaster in Switzerland. It was just very, very hard.
1: And has this changed the way you treat now? I mean, you've been a lifesaver. Your whole life, and now you go from saving others to sort of being saved, if you will. Um, has this changed anything in your outlook or the way you relate to Asala, to training pneumatics, or or just the work you're doing?
2: Definitely. I I actually it's a great question. When I was when I woke up, I was in a diaper. I lost mm-hmm. thirty six pounds. One month, 36 pounds, not a recommended diet. Um, I was in a really bad condition. I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. I I needed the help of the nurses. They were trying everything possible. They were really great and helping. But it was for the first time in my life, I I really felt that I, I thought maybe Hashem put me in this condition to learn more of the needs of people in my situation. I never realized, you know, treating people, I always taught Hatzalah volunteers, when you treat someone who needs your help, always go to their level of their eyes. Meaning, if you see a person laying on the bed or sitting on the bed, don't stand up and talk to them like you're one, well, like four feet above them. Um, go down to their eye level in the same eye level as yours. Make them feel comfortable with you. I always said in Hatzalah, this is, even if you have to go on the floor, go on the floor to make them feel comfortable. Now, after being in that in that situation, I tell Hatzalah guys, all the Hatzalah volunteers, men and women, go down ten centimeters less in the in the height. You know, be a little lower than them. Make them feel they're in the lowest part of their life. When someone calls Hatzalah, their situation is so bad they need help. They don't call for just For fun, they need help. They're in a really bad situation. You should make them feel more important than you. Beautiful,
1: beautiful. I I want to actually highlight that for our listeners, Uh, anyone who's watching and listening. When we pay a uh, excuse me a sick call, if God forbid somebody's ill, and we go to the hospital and visit them, fulfilling the mitzvah Bikur Cholim. We do it every Shabbos at MJE. It's unfortunately, you know, during COVID we haven't been able to, but for years, we have a group that leaves the Upper West Side, walks across the park to Mount Sinai Hospital, visits patients. And it's such an important lesson that, you know, just to, to level the eye contact. So if you see the person is usually in bed, then to figure out a way to find a seat so that you're level and you're not speaking down to them. I just think that's a great 100%. visual um, people to hold on to.
2: Um, well, so I think to, one, tell us the feeling about what- For that, for what you just said, When you walk all the way to the east side, 96th Street to uh, whatever, 99th Street to Mount Sinai, and you're tired and everything, don't sit down because you're tired. Sit down because you want to be in there on level. Yeah,
1: careful. Thank you. Tell us uh, what it was like coming back home to Israel after all those months. You're walking off the plane. I know the media was there waiting. Like I've read there was something like a thousand people. What was going through your mind? You know, was it like making Aliyah for the first time, kiss the ground? Like what was
2: going on? It was a very hard moment to me, for me to see from above. This is actually in Miami. You should put on the, yeah, put on the the sound. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, the, it was just amazing to see people from Miami coming to say goodbye to me. Mm-hmm. And then we, these were, just random people who just drove by them. Uh, Sheldon and Miriam Madison, they they generously offered to fly me back to Israel and I came back to Israel. And about a thousand volunteers, first of all, my family was there. This is Dr. Zevi North. He came, he's Dr. Zevi North from Miami, uh, came with me and uh, we walked down the plane. It was the most incredible moment. I'm hugging everyone my family oh. and it was just to see the hotel. my family there was crying i couldn't believe i'll see them again and um i said shema israel i just you know um and then they drove me on the ambulance and then volunteers just waiting there and they opened the back doors of the ambulance and we we're just seeing the volunteers saying welcome i thought it was my funeral actually for a minute i was like saying is this real or it's my funeral i really thought of my funeral <laughs> Just amazing. Very, very that's special. A beautiful, beautiful yeah. sight. Look at that picture with your family. It was very sad to see Israel like that. Wow. Israel, was, Israel was very, very like going flying above the airport, looking down. You see all the El Al planes parked together. I like never in my life, I've been right. to the airport a thousand right. times, never seen all the El Al planes. You see one here, one here, like 30 planes in one shot, you know? Oh, wow. What is it like? It looks like Yom Kippur in the airport. Yeah.
1: Wow. Uh, You know, I saw another post, actually. I think we're Facebook friends, and I got a post. It was a picture of you at a Seder, but it was Pesach Sheni. Now, for those of our listeners who are not familiar, there's Passover, but in the Torah, there is a discussion, a group of Jews came to Moses himself, to Moshe Rabbeinu, and they said that, uh, they said that um, if you're Tame, you're ritually impure, and you can't bring the Paschal offering, which is the way Passover is celebrated in the days of the temple, then you lose out on the whole holiday. So they instituted, it's in the Torah, a second Passover for those who couldn't keep the first because they were ritually impure. Thirty days afterwards, tell us a little. I saw you did a post because, I guess you weren't well enough to be at the seder on actual Passover, but you did a Pesach Sheni. Tell us a little uh, about that.
2: So that—that's a really beautiful thing that happened. Uh, I actually one of the worst things that happened to me is I missed Pesach completely. I was out. I woke up a day after Pesach. And I couldn't believe I missed Pesach. I, I, you know, I went to the hospital after, after Purim, and I woke up after Pesach. And I was so upset that I missed Passover. I loved the Seder. I loved the negotiation with my son, for Afikoman and everything. And I was so depressed. So I spoke to Mark Kirsten. I used to talk to Mark Kirsten 10 times a day about different things that I went through. And I told him my problem, that I missed Pesach. And he says to me, "Ellie, what are you talking about? You know that he told me the whole halacha thing. You know, I never knew deep into the whole Pesach Sheni. I used to, my mother used to give me, say, eat a matzah on the second, on like Pesach Sheni, thirty days after, just take a matzah, and you know, that's all I did. If I did, I don't think I did it most of the times. But this year, because Mark said to me, it's such an important thing, you should do the Pesach, like the regular Pesach." with your family and we did exactly like we would do every year we did it 30 days after Pesach Shaini, we had the afikoman we had the four kosis. i actually didn't drink wine until then i called my doctor and i said could i have some wine <laughs> <He> said, <laughs> and uh right. amazing we had a beautiful night and um my kids stole afikoman it was very hard for me to hide it um, and uh, it was beautiful, we we had a beautiful time, it was just amazing. And a lot of people in Israel, That's because it was, it was on TV in Israel, Israeli TV actually broadcast it. Um, and they they never knew, most Israelis, secular Israelis never heard of Pesach Shani. And 2 million people who saw that heard of Pesach Shani for the first time. Wow,
1: right, oh yeah. I love the whole, first of all, it was so beautiful that you did it. And that's, I'm so happy Mark made that comment, that suggestion to you. He was absolutely correct. And um, I just, it's such a wonderful theme running throughout Jewish tradition that, you know, we believe in second chances. You know, I always say that, um, you know, Yom Kippur is the day that Moshe Rabbeinu was, was called up to receive the second set of Lucha, the second uh, you know, because the first one's, okay, we messed up with the sin of the golden calf. He broke them. He went down. It was Rosh Chodesh Elul, and he went down and prayed. Half the Jewish people went back up. God called him and said, I'm going to give you another chance. That was Rosh Chodesh Elul, and then he comes down on Yom Kippur, excuse me. He got called back up on Rosh Chodesh Elul, and then came back down on, on Yom Kippur 40 days later. So the idea of another chance... You know, you couldn't do something the first time. It's a big theme in MJE, you know, because a lot of our participants didn't necessarily do the Judaism thing the first time around, or it just felt a little empty. Um, And now they're in their 20s and 30s and they're, you know, they want to try it now. It's never too late, never too late. Um, Tell us what, um, I just have two questions left for you. First of all, what do you want people to take from, from your story with COVID and your battle, your successful battle, thank God, from COVID. Um, and and then I want to know where where you know what are your plans? What do you want to do now? <laughs> <So I'll laughs> you were given another chance.
2: First of all, I take a lot from what this conversation tonight. You you explain things so well, and you give a lot of meaning to everything. You know to. You know, like you just said, the second chance. You know, I I always thought it's the Jewish thing of, you get one, you get one free. You know, you buy one, you get one free. Like you get the first Seder, you get one <laughs> free. I say second chance. I like that. Um, I actually think the thing I I think people could take the most out of my story is really when I was the, when I was notified by the doctors that they have to intubate me and you know put me on a ventilator. I was sure I'm not going to survive. And I said, okay, I did what I did in this world. I know I did good things in this world. Hashem put me for purpose. I did my purpose. I'm done, finished. Now, other people. Um, and I was very, very sad that I'm not going to see my family and I'm not going to see this. And I hope Tatzel will continue. But then I had the miracle. And look at me today. I am alive. I became a grandfather to this little little boy, cute boy, my my grandson, oh, who I talk to every day on Zoom, and I see him. He's my uh, he's my buddy, and I think my life changed. My this was my worst year of my life. But then it turned to be my best year of my life. So I always see people in really bad situations, people who lost their businesses, people who in a depression because of, of someone passed away or something. Really bad things that I hear from people, that I, I hear them, and I listen. And I say to them, listen, I went through the worst. I had to say goodbye to my children. My 12-year-old girl, I had to say to her, I want you to be a good girl when you grow up. Like, I, I've been to a situation where I thought there was no way back. And look at me today. I, it turned to be the best year of my life. I survived back to my world, back to Atzala, back to my family. I became a grandfather, and I'm the happiest person in the world. I say to anyone who has a bad, doesn't have to be COVID. It could be anything. People lost everything they have, and they think, okay, this is it. I want to jump from the top floor of a building. I say to them, no, no. my doctor's daughter won't survive. And look at me today. People who came out of the Holocaust, I saved a 70-year-old man who was hit by a car, and he was a Holocaust survivor from Auschwitz. He had a beautiful family surrounding him. And look at him. He came out of the concentration camps, and he he rebuilt his family, he rebuilt everything. And I met him when I saved his life, and I said, you know what? Never give up, even if you have the worst of the worst. And I'm sure some of the people listening to you are having a hard time now. Just think about people like me, the people – you know, that went through bad, bad things in the history. And you'll see that giving up is the worst thing you could do.
1: Thank you. I I can't tell you how meaningful that is to me. And we have a lot of people out there struggling financially. Uh, A lot of our participants at MGE are, um, you know, they're stuck in their small apartments in Manhattan and, you know, social life wasn't easy necessarily before COVID started and it just got quadruply hard, you know, because, you know, try dating in this environment and not so simple. And A lot of the events that we would hold and a lot of people would hold that to bring people together to meet and to find their soulmate, you know, have been cut down a lot. So a lot of people are really, you know, life's been put on hold and a lot of people depressed and down and out. And so I, I, it's honestly one of the reasons I wanted you, I wanna be able to bring you on because I, I, I see how positive you are and how much hakarat tov, how much gratitude you have to Hashem. And I think that's so powerful for people to see. Um, someone who is just so grateful to be alive and, and, and can express it like you just did. So that, that's very, very meaningful for us. Thank you. Um, then I really wanna just express my heart. Yeah, please.
2: You asked me about the future. So we were just mentioning before. Yeah, you know, let's hear about the future. Have a yeah. You, you know, we're both serving our communities the way we believe in. You know, you're doing the netfish and I'm doing the goof, the body, and you're doing the soul. <laughs> um, and I had a lot of responsibilities on my on my shoulders for years. And I realized when I was put to sleep, I was afraid. You know, about Atzella. And then I realized when I woke up that incredible people took responsibility and really made sure the funding comes and and Atsella doesn't, doesn't end. Right. So my goal in the next five years is to make United at Sela and to be strong enough that I won't be so the organization will be so fragile if something happens to me, meaning United at should be sustainable. And I'm going to work a lot to get people to sponsor days of lifesaving saving forever meaning they should have a day of the year as theirs and, they, and I know one day of the year is sponsored by so and so. and it's an incredible idea that actually um, today we have someone who sponsored in memory of uh, his father, Yorkzeit and, and they're getting updates about it all day like what happened today, what happened today and they are the sponsors. So my goal in the next five years is to make sure all 365 days of, of the year is sponsored by someone. And the United Nations has an endowment that they don't need me to travel 200 days a year. So that's in my my promise to my family, to my to the organization, and uh, I I build it. I put 20 sorry 32 years of my life and almost my whole life. Uh, and now I'm going to put five more years to make sure that if something like this happens to me again, I won't even have a question in my mind. I'll know that it has a future.
1: It's really beautiful. We thank you. Um, we just posted a link. If anybody wants to make a contribution to United Hatzalah and to learn more about it, um, it says visit Israelrescue.org. We have a link right there. Anybody wants to consider uh, being that you know donor to sponsor a day of the year? It could be an incredible, incredible thing. What is a chut? What a merit such an individual would have to know that that day of the year, they are responsible. Just today alone, uh, Eliam, you shared 2,000 calls in one typical day. Um, how, how powerful that is. To save one life, the Gemara, the Talmud says, is to save the entire world. And um, your story is just so inspirational. You're exactly the right person to be doing this work. I know probably sometimes you feel like you wish somebody else was doing it, running around the world, raising the money, It's not simple, but, uh, you know, the Mishnah and Pirkei also teaches B'mokam She'en Ish, where there's a place where there isn't anyone. He ish. You should endeavor, take the initiative. You did that years ago and you have, thank God, all of these hundreds of thousands of lives that are now being saved on a regular basis because of your holy, holy, beautiful work. I thank you, Ellie, for coming on and taking the time out of your schedule to share your amazing personal story. Thanks for being so honest about what you personally went through. Um, keep building bridges like you are between different communities. I mean, I don't know presidents and prime ministers who are able to accomplish the kind of reconciliation that United Hetzalah allows for, uh, besides all of the life saving. Um, so there's just so many layers of chesed, of kindness and of um, of just creating peace and, and shleimut and, and wholesomeness in the world. So uh, surreal is the for us to have you. I look forward to uh, continuing to build our relationship and uh, keep surrounding yourself with the right people. You've done that from day one. And Hashem should bless you with continued good health and Hashem should bless your family and Mazel tov on the birth of your grandson, Shavala nachas, and uh, all of us should continue to just be safe. And um, be supportive of this very, very special man's holy work. Thank you all for, uh, for being here. And thank you, Ellie, for, for coming on. Thank you for having me. And don't forget
2: to support MGE.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Cast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wilds. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.